0: Your trusted source for news and analysis about Chicago White Sox prospects and player development, covering the Major League Baseball draft and international market, plus the action in Kanapolis, Winston-Salem, Birmingham, and Charlotte. This is the Future Sox Podcast with your hosts, Mike Rankin and James Fox.
1: Hello oh, and welcome to another episode of the Future Sox podcast. My name is Mike Rankin. I'm your host, James Fox, alongside us today's guest, Ian Eskridge. You can follow him on Twitter at I Eskridge, as well as at Daily White Sox. Spoiler alert, Ian Eskridge is the man behind the controls putting up videos at Daily White Sox of all of your favorite Chicago White Sox prospects keeping you up to date on their performances and that's why we wanted to talk to him today. He has so much knowledge of the Chicago White Sox farm system that we just wanted to talk White Sox prospects and it's a pleasure to have Ian with us. Ian, how are you? Thanks for the time. Welcome into the Future Sox podcast.
2: I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it.
1: Now, I want to begin the conversation with this because I know what you do is very time consuming. What motivated you to get going on daily white Sox, and what motivated you to do what you were doing now and covering the prospects in the way that you do?
2: Well, I, I mean, as you obviously know, I mean, it's like nobody else does that. So the fan base wanted to know about the prospects at the time that I started looking into doing it and it started off, you know, I just was doing clips for like a Facebook group and just posting them on there. You know, when, uh, Eloy and, uh, Luis Robert started playing and, you know, we started getting the, the guys that were coming over in trades and, uh, people wanted to see what was going on and everybody was excited about that because we started, rebuild uh i don't know you can put whatever number moniker on it you want um but you know everybody was interested in seeing what the performances were down there and uh, i just started posting them and uh that was that was pretty much the the reason for it i mean uh, as far as white Sox daily starting uh patrick flowers who is now the uh the lead nfl writer for bleacher nation um He reached out and asked me if I wanted to start a site. We started a site, and uh, then he got that job with Bleacher Nation, and so I pretty much just took it over. And uh, that's yeah, that's pretty much where we're at.
1: So, how much time do you dedicate to the site per week? Would you say? Oh,
2: I mean, it's it's a full time job for you, right? I mean, it's not forty hours. I I mean, it's like uh, you know, probably it's probably a part time, a, a serious part time job. You know, it's probably about 20 plus hours, I would say, which sounds insane now that I'm saying it. (laughs) Yeah, I I
1: just feel like it's got to be so rewarding because the feedback, I'm sure, is positive from especially those who are close to the players, such as families or even scouts or people connected to the players who are rooting for their success. Do you get any of those types of feedback?
2: I do. Um, it's yeah. That's that. That is uh, part of the the thing that is a lot of fun. And you know that that's. I mean, I don't make money really from from doing this whole thing. So when people uh, get on me on Twitter about uh, particular things, I'm just like, hey man, what do you want from me? You know. But um, yeah, I the feedback from family members and uh, and from the players themselves, and I do get the occasional uh, DM from scouts and uh some of the uh staff and so i mean that's
1: got to feel pretty good so now you're kind of in it so you're you're following these guys on a daily basis and you touched on it before you were Starting this project up while the White Sox were at the tail end of their rebuild with a lot of the players, the the high-end top 30 prospects, getting set to graduate, now there's a bit of a reset again, and I think for a lot of fans, the attention is going to go back to the minor leagues. I remember just all the buzz that we were getting for Luis Robert, Andrew Vaughn, and the like. Now it's somewhat similar with Colson Montgomery, Noah Schultz, and others. So in your opinion, how would you evaluate where the system is today?
2: I mean, I've kind of been uh, a little bit ahead of the curve on, say, like Baseball American MLB uh, pipeline, Uh, just thinking that there's at least a little bit more talent than they give them credit for. But I will say uh, them being ranked in the middle now is uh, definitely a a nice change that some of these guys are starting to get some respect. And I know that injuries to guys like... uh, Schultz and Montgomery and Ramos, you know, that kind of even probably knocked these guys down a hair uh, as to where they where they should be. But uh, I I don't know. We'll see uh, how the rest of the season goes. I know that uh, with Project Birmingham, Colson Montgomery had a little bit more of a difficult time when he moved to double A last year. And, um, you know, he's been walking a ton in Birmingham so far. Uh, we'll see whether he picks that up here over the next couple of weeks.
3: Yeah, so that's what I was going to ask you. I mean, so the system is obviously much better, and it's mostly because of July. They had a draft that a lot of people that study these sorts of things like thought they did well, and then obviously like they were one of the winners, I guess, of the sellers like during the trade deadline. So I, I guess like I've gotten a little bit of pushback, even though I've cited kylie mcdaniel and others like him like saying that it's like a middle of the pack farm system now and obviously it's that way because of the trades they made but there's lots of negativity right and people don't think it's going to work but i mean like did you have a good grasp on that like as the trades were being made like did you kind of think like oh yeah they're going to be middle of the pack because like it snuck up on me a little bit but then i think like once you realize like you just added 10 prospects at to the top 30, like it actually does make sense. They probably are in that 12 to 15 range or whatever it is.
2: Yeah. I, I mean, I kind of had an idea when they added uh Carol and Kai Bush, that things were going to start moving a little bit. And I, I was hopeful that Han was going to be able to, or Kenny Williams, whoever you want to say uh, made some nice trades there at the deadline. And I was like, there's just entirely too much there there's too much of an influx of talent for them to remain back in the lower 20s still <laughs> at least I was hoping um so i mean depending on what publication you look at you know they're like uh low you know the low teens even at 12 so so one of the first things i mentioned was the draft we talked to you a little bit
3: in the lead up and during obviously just you know any overall like thoughts on the draft class obviously we don't know what the players are going to be, but I mean, just what they decided to do strategically and, you know, Mike Shirley's fourth draft, just some of your thoughts on it.
2: Yeah. I know one of the guys that you wanted to talk about was Jacob Gonzalez. I, to be honest, I don't know exactly how I feel about that pick um, at at that position. Now, I, you know, depending on where, where you're picking, obviously the strategy is going to have to change a little bit. And he was one of the guys that was, a potential top five guy at the beginning of the year. And his season went, you know, it went decent, you know, and went pretty good regardless of his uh, stock dropped a little bit, but I don't, you know, it just the, the, the overall, overall profile, the guy plays a good shortstop and it's been the shortstop for team USA for a few years. So I know he can play the position. Um, I just don't know if with that particular pick, if i the the speed does bother me and i know that's one of the uh big knocks on him is that his, his uh foot speed's a little bit uh on the low end so that that pick was probably the one where i was kind of a little bit uh underwhelmed i guess not that i don't think that he'll he'll be a good player it's just uh you know with a 15th overall pick in the draft i that pick in particular i was kind of like huh I'm, I'm really hoping that that one pans out because if it doesn't, it's going to be another uh, weird first round pick. The yeah. college I mean, guy.
3: <laughs> so yeah, like same thing. Right. So once they made the first pick, I mean, we were kind of like, I didn't know how much it cost. And then, you know, you have to kind of see like what the rest of the class looks like. So then you find out he was as under as under slot as he was, was a little bit surprising. So then like, I like the strategy of, hitting college pitching like early and often on day two. Like I'd much rather take college starters in like the second, third, fifth and gamble on high school pitchers. Like at that range, just because of like, you know what we've seen and like, even like guys like Jonathan Cannon, like not a whole ton of upside, but they're big league starters. Right. Like I'd much rather have that than, you know, what we've seen with Matthew Thompson and, and the like. So I really like what they did there, but then there was leftover money. So like, do you think they made enough of a splash in order to save? Like they saved on Gonzalez, you know, and then they went pretty chalk for a little bit. And then, you know, I think like a guy like Christian Opper in round five was over. And then like George Wolkow, obviously for a million dollars, that's basically an extra third round pick. So I guess it just has to hit somewhere, right? Because they the first round pick lacks the upside that their previous two have that they've really hit on. You know what I mean? So, like, I guess, like, did they do enough later to, like, justify, like, the underslot selection in round one of Gonzalez, like we've talked about?
2: Yeah, I kind of think, you know, and and I am kind of in the minority. I, I really like the Grant Taylor pick in the second slot there, and I like Keener a lot as well. And then Calvin Harris, I also like. So, um. I w the the reason why I like the Calvin Harris pick is he's a catcher from a winning program that handled the staff and did a really good job at it. And uh the, the catching depth with this team was obviously you know lacking. So the fact that the influx of the uh additional catcher and from a winning program, I'm all for that one. I think the financial uh strategy was was sound you know, the overall pick with the first pick, we'll see if that one, if that one pans out, if, if that was just the, the strategy there was to uh, spread the money out a little bit and end up allowing them to get a wool cow in the seventh, you know, then we'll see how either of them works out.
1: Sticking to the draft. What's your opinion of Mike Shirley? We talked about it fourth draft class to this point. Are you impressed with the way
2: that he's gone about, you know, rebuilding this farm system through the draft? I like mike shirley uh quite a bit i have been not very shy about my criticisms of the nick hostetler drafts and uh just the you know the overall job you know it's not now he's the uh free agent the guy who's up there telling rick Khan who he should be picking up and uh i don't feel like that's worked out so well either <laughs> so you know, regardless of my personal feelings on Nick Hostetler's as a, as a person, he seems like a a great guy. It just seems like those drafts didn't work out well. And the free agent pickups haven't like really been, uh, stellar either. Although when you're, when you've got your toe in the very shallow end of the pool monetarily, I don't know exactly what is, uh, you know, what kind of a free agent's going to be available when you're not offering top dollar. So
1: yeah, we're uh, fans of Shirley, too. And of course, we respect and very much enjoy Nick Hostetler's company whenever he was friendly to us during his time with the Chicago White Sox in that position. He was, uh, you know, very open telling us about his strategy. But at the end of the day, when you look at his ledger, yeah, it's, it's easy to criticize the decision making process on that end. So we totally understand where you're coming from. Now, I want to take you to the deals that happen at the deadline. Now, I know we want to focus specifically on the Dodgers trade at some point. We can go there now if you're interested, because I want to ask you your favorite trade that includes Lucas Giolito and Reynaldo Lopez to the Angels for Edgar Carroll and Kai Bush, Lance Lynn and Joe Kelly to the Dodgers for Nick Mestrini, Jordan Leisure and Trace Thompson, Kendall Graveman to Houston for catcher Corey Lee, Jake Berger to Miami for Jake Eater, Keenan Middleton to New York for Juan Carrella, any of those you can touch on, uh, and just your overall thoughts on the way that the White Sox had to kind of lead up to that decision.
2: Well, I mean, obviously, the the White Sox parent club hasn't been performing up to uh, their standards and certainly not our standards, so it was just time to start jettisoning some of these uh, contracts and some of these expiring deals, so it all made sense to me. Uh, holding on to them would have been insane, in my personal opinion, um, so I'm happy that they did drop some of those guys and... Uh, send them elsewhere to get some the influx of talent that we've gotten. I'd say probably my favorite trade of the deals was probably uh, the Jake Berger for Jake Eater just for the return. Uh, Obviously I don't want, I didn't want to see Jake Berger go, but I think that that was probably my favorite guy that we got back. Regarding the the Dodgers trade, I I did like that one as well. Um, Although I'm, still trying to understand why Trace Thompson is back at this point. What is, what is he providing to the white Sox? That part, I don't understand, but the, uh, the leisure, I I enjoy his, uh, you know, he's got a lot of ride on his fastball and, uh, he's got a nasty breaking ball as well. So, um, he's, you know, they, they bumped him immediately to triple a and, uh, I don't know. We'll see, uh, how that's, how that's going to work out. He's pitching in Charlotte, which obviously the park factor in that place is kinda nuts. Nestrini has looked uh okay. You know, that's been kind of a, a thing with all these guys that we've gotten over. And I've gotten some questions on Twitter about, you know, are all the guys that we got, are they all terrible because they've uh put up middling numbers for the, you know, the first week and a half that they've been here. But uh I do like pretty much every single one of those pickups for this White Sox team anyway.
1: Yeah, and I think it makes sense, right, to, to your point, you know, adding positions of need, especially considering you know, we already touched on it, but catching, you know, they drafted two catchers and then added two catchers in the trade deadline. That was exciting to me, and plus they added starting pitching. Kai Bush has struggled in multiple outings so far to this point. Nick nastrini stuff looks really good. But, you know, he has command issues as well. So there are issues that the White Sox need to tackle in a lot of the players. But here's what I want to go with Um, now, and especially considering where the White Sox stand in their farm system development. We talked about them being in the bottom 10 prior to the trade deadline. Now you add all of this talent. And I feel like it meshes pretty well given the timelines. I don't know how you feel, Ian, but draft picks plus the added talent. Now, it just feels like it's meshing. It feels like the time is right because they're aging, they're experienced. And it seems like we're maybe a year or two
2: away from seeing a handful of these prospects at the big league level. Oh, a hundred percent. I don't, I don't think there's anything that's going to be holding back any of these guys other than their performance. There's, you know, you're going to have what Kopech and cease and, uh, Possibly Jesse Schulten's if he's, you know, I, I don't even remember what uh, what what kind of deal. I think it was just a one-year deal. So, you know, possibly Schulten's is here. Uh, you got Davis Martin that's rehabbing from TJ. I mean, what what's holding any of these guys back from, you know, popping up to the major league roster here in the next year or two? Not, not really a whole lot at this point. So... I think that we'll probably see quite a few of these guys making their way up pretty quickly.
3: Yeah, I mean it. It seems to be the case, right? And at least the thought process. So, like, looking—I guess like two parter here. Like, looking at this Birmingham team, <laughs> like how interesting is that every night because there's so many prospects there. And then, like, the second part of that is like, do you think we're actually like maybe going to have like a real prospect-filled team, like to start the year at Charlotte next year? Because yeah, like the White Sox have treated Charlotte. A little bit differently where it's been, you know, for a veterans and older, you know, like guys like Trace Thompson and like anytime like there's a failed prospect, the White Sox sign them and put them in Charlotte. And I get it right because you don't want to rush prospects. So you have to have those types of guys in Charlotte, but it does seem like that team should finally be a little bit better, at least on paper, taking into consideration the ballpark factors and stuff. I think it's always going to be pretty tough to pitch there, but I mean, it seems like the team should at least be a little bit better.
2: Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to lie that uh, the Knights have been a real, real tough watch for coming up on two months. I mean, they they didn't start off too terribly, uh, in the beginning of the year, but the last couple months have just been brutal. And, you know, we saw it last year, same thing where I think they had something like 65, 70% bullpen games. And, uh, Things have kind of worked out the same way this year, you know. Once Schulten's got pulled up to the major league roster, it's just you know it's that's been a, a real tough watch. So I'm hoping that you know some of these guys matriculate their way up to uh, AAA next year and i don't see any reason why not because they're gonna have to free up some room in birmingham because you can't have 10 starters so they're gonna have to start bumping some guys and i know that some of the 40-man implications are coming as well with a couple of these guys so that's going to make for some uh
0: make for some decisions coming up here in the next year there's no i in team but there is one in indeed and that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours Join more than three million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. What do you think about
3: that? Like, do we even like want them pitching there though? Like, and obviously look like, I think for what we do, like I I can look past numbers at Charlotte a little bit, right? Like if I'm getting reports on stuff and like guys, FIPS are better than ERA and like all sorts of other stuff. But I mean, it's like pretty frustrating just seeing like guys that are supposed to be prospects that might still be prospects. Right. But there's, they're, they're not going to, necessarily be successful there because it is, it's just like really hard to pitch there.
2: Yeah. It's a, it is a, a difficult environment for sure. As far as do we want them there? I mean, ideally probably not, but then again, you also have to temper your expectations when you see offensive numbers there as well. So, um, you know, you bring a guy up to AAA, and, you know, I mean, you saw it with Blake Rutherford, you know, you, you put him in, in Charlotte, you would expect that he would at least run into twenty, and he, he didn't. He didn't do that, so they let him walk, and then he gets all these crazy numbers with the uh, with the Nationals program. I don't know what they what they what he changed, what they did, whatever. But uh, you know, when you put guys in Charlotte, you'd expect that uh, the offensive numbers are going to go up, and that uh, the pitchers are going to have a difficult time. So, do I technically want them there? I mean, what other choice do you have? Because you're not going to just immediately bump all these guys to the major league roster. You're going to have to, going to have to move some of these guys up from lower and there's got to be a place for them. And unfortunately it's a place with the uh, second highest park factor in uh, the international league. So. Yep. The
3: park is the park, right? That that's where they play. So. Yep.
2: And shout out to Blake Rutherford, by the way, first major majors. I love it. Yeah. Yeah,
3: got his first hit. Happy for him. And because, I mean, even like Alex Calls playing for the Nationals, you know, like that's yeah. a, that's a <laughs> former White Sox third. I mean, he's not particularly good, but I mean, he's he's in the big leagues, which is interesting. So, Ian, you know, I, I know you guys have, you, you've probably gotten a little bit of a bump here because they've added prospects, right? So there's like actually guys for you to tweet about every day over at White Sox Daily. But I do think one of the things that's lost on, And not necessarily right, but I think we take for granted a little bit like the top two prospects in the system because they had those two guys and they were ranked 27th or whatever, and now they're up to where we were like you've talked about. And a lot of that is because of the influx of new talent. But a lot of it's because they have a legitimate top 20 prospect in all of baseball and another one that's what probably top 75 everywhere right now. And then adding Caro helps. But I mean, I guess just like how much better does it make you feel that Colson Montgomery and Noah Schultz are even like in this organization doing what they're doing right now?
2: Yeah. Those are the kind of, and I'll be, uh, you know, you called the, the Colson Montgomery one when we were looking through the, uh, the draft stuff a couple of years ago. And that was, that was the one that ended up coming. And, uh, the Noah Schultz one was a little bit of a surprise to me. I know that there was like a a little bit of talk about him, but the the fact that they went out on the limb and, and got those guys and took those guys is certainly surprising, <laughs> but also uh, very welcome that they went prep on those guys. And, and both of them have hit. Can I
1: ask you about Colson Montgomery? Because I- I'm fascinated by the project and he spent so much time away from the game this year because of a back injury when he returned to play. In advance, they went to Salem. It was no challenge, and now he's in Birmingham, and it just seems like he's under control at the plate. And I love the frame. Seems like he put on some size. And for somebody like you, watching games all the time, every day, what are some of the things that you notice in, in his day-to-day, in his game? How is he at shortstop? What does he look like at the plate? What does his swing look like? Can you just give us a breakdown of the player?
2: Yeah, so I think the one thing that is going to – not necessarily hold him back, but is going to be one of the things that he needs to work on the the most is his is the glove and fielding. Most of the time, the issue for him is the throw. I think he gets a little bit in his own head when it comes time to to make a throw, and I think the only thing that's going to fix that is just more experience. You know, the the glove and the range to me look good. I know that a lot of people have said that you know because he's because he's a big kid that he's not going to stick at shortstop. I don't see the things that they do when they say that uh, because I see that he's got very good lateral quickness and uh, the glove itself is not bad. Uh, the transfer uh, between glove hand and his throwing hand sometimes is, is is an issue, and uh, the the actual throws over to first base I think that you know there's some hesitation in his throws sometimes. And that's what ends up causing most of his errors. Uh, most of the errors do not come with the glove. So that's the, I think that's a very positive thing. Uh, as far as this, the bat, he's got a very pleasing bat plane. When the bat comes through the zone, it's got very bad intentions and lots of line drives, lots of uh, high line drives, which end up going out when he hits him a hundred plus, you know, and uh, you know, obviously the plate discipline I mean, for, for how old he is, his plate discipline is ridiculously good. So uh, I, I, like, I like the player a lot, and uh, I'm looking forward to watching him keep on going.
1: And just to follow up too quickly, related to a teammate of his and Brian Ramos, this is another player who gets rave reviews around the league and evaluators alike. A lot of pop in his frame.
2: In terms of his athleticism, how would you describe him in the field and as well as at the plate? I don't see any reason why he would move off a third base at this point. You know, same thing. His his range is good. The speed is good over there for a third baseman. Reactionary time's great. Um, guy's got a cannon for an arm. I think it's just a, it's a repetition thing, you know? I don't see a, a gold glove third baseman over there, but um, the glove is good. And, I, you know, obviously the the power is off the charts, you know, for – for, you know, for what we see in the system, the guy's just hammering the ball right now. Um, and I don't see any reason why he doesn't move up kind of quickly. I, I'm, you know, I have to say that probably the reason why they, I think it was MLB pipeline, put him at, at seven. And uh, I don't, you know, I, I saw that you guys had posted uh, a poll on uh, whether he should have been higher in the draft or in the, uh, in the rankings. And I definitely think that he should have been. Much higher in the rankings, but you know, I guess we'll see. I think that a lot of it has to do with his health from this year.
3: Yeah, very likely, and he's been like on a tear. I mean, I I don't know if they want to see him in Charlotte like to end the year. My, I mean, I'm hopeful that he's gonna be in the Arizona Fall League with Colson Montgomery, right? And that'll either put him on the map completely or. You know, it, it could do the opposite if he's not very good there because it's a prospect league. But I mean, he's on the 40 man. So, you know, the White Sox have promoted from double A before. I, I don't necessarily think that he's ready for that, but it is interesting to see, you know, I guess what, like his, his last six weeks and how people haven't totally caught up. I don't know how he's going to rank for us, but I mean, yeah, like the publications have come out and they have Jacob Gonzalez ahead of him and I mean, I understand it. Cause, like if you think Jacob Gonzalez can play short, but I think Brian Ramos is, is a little bit unheralded to this point. So I'm just like curious to see what the white Sox plans are for him because like, look, I, I'm the 40 man, like using up options right now. Like we, we could see him fairly soon. Like if he continues to do what he's doing.
2: Yeah. I, I the only thing, you know, especially with his age, the uh you know even if jacob gonzalez does manage to stick at shortstop which is you know people have been debating since he was picked um i don't see how you wouldn't rank ramos ahead of him especially you know given the the age i i just the age and the power there's just no i i don't i don't see the reason in that i and if you were gonna rank him higher uh, I think that he should have probably swapped spots, you know, to like number five, I think, which I think they had like uh Kai Bush or something at five. I can't, I can't remember the exact order of it, but I was like, you know, he should definitely be higher than seven.
3: Yeah, so I know like, you know, Lenny and Sosa, it's been kind of up and down. He was very successful last year and it wasn't just stats, right? It was legitimate swing and approach changes and had his cup of coffee. He's got 103 big league plate appearances that have not gone well, obviously, You know, I think there's some level of injury concern at Charlotte because his numbers have really tanked. Like after he had like an oblique injury, I think, am I holding out hope? Like hoping that that's the reason why he's not at second base every day. And the reason why Elvis Andrews is playing right now is that it's, you know, there's actually a real reason instead of like what I fear that it is right now. Cause he should be, I mean, he should be at second base every day for the white Sox If he's healthy right now,
2: I don't disagree. Um, yeah, th- that whole thing's just... Uh, and I-, I tweeted about this the other day. You know, if you are a player with the Knights right now, I mean, just think about how bleak of a situation you're heading into every day. I mean, they've been outscored 50-11 to 11 in this five-game series against the Gwinnett Stripers this week. And, I mean, you just go into that place. It's just got to feel like a morgue. So culture that we're talking about here... You know, and one of the things that I've talked about on our stream quite a bit is that you look at the the Rays systems, the Brave systems, the the systems that you aspire to have. All their teams are all winning. You know, when when you see the White Sox, you know, you see the 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 Knights. I mean, it's just like a, it's just a, it's it's been a pretty pretty awful team for a few years now it's just a uh, not a environment that you would expect guys to really really flourish in you know and especially with the amount of roster turnover it's pretty hard so like the that whole thing i i don't know if uh sosa's oblique is is 100 percent or whatever and he's still plugging along you know he's still getting a hit you know a hit every night for the most part yeah, it's just a it's just a tough situation to evaluate down there because it's kind of like dead men walking. So I don't I don't know exactly exactly how to how to evaluate the stats down there right now. Well, sticking to that quickly
1: because Elijah Evans and I do a roundup episode of the Future Sox podcast every week and releases on the weekends. You can subscribe, listen to two episodes every week. Shout out to us! Uh, as of a couple of days ago, the Charlotte Knights were six and twenty nine in the second half, and even earlier in the week we hear pedro graful say the manager of the chicago white sox that elvis andrews zach Remillard will keep splitting time at second base that sox have talked about how minor leaguers might fit but today isn't the time they're focused on the guys who are here and then a follow-up was here's the quote elvis is playing good baseball right now we're never going to compromise a major league win for development and i i don't know if that's his actual opinion or he's just trying to save face to back his major league roster. But that is not the answer right now, especially considering where the White Sox stand at the major league level, where the White Sox stand at the AAA level and considering what we anticipate to be a bit of a blip in 2024 with an opportunity to actually develop talent in the minor league system. Now it's another question. If a player isn't ready, right? If a player is not ready to take on the major league challenge, totally understand. And I don't know the answer to that question. However, this right now is the best opportunity for an organization to see what you got and to allow these players to develop. Look, cause my point is Ian I don't think the White Sox prospects are going to find failure in their development. If they experience failure at the major league level at this point, because there's time, right. And they're not trying to win. So that just kind of got me fired up to see Pedro go full talking about not compromising major league win for development
2: at this point. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what he's, I, I don't, I don't know what they're doing. You know, And Elvis is playing decent right now. He's not playing badly. He's playing a, you know, his his bat's been pretty good. I mean, his defense is, you know, because he's slowed down quite a bit, his his glove's not as good as it used to be. But, um, yeah, I don't know why he's there. I don't know why Grandal's there. The only thing I can figure on Grandal is because Sebi's injured and uh, Corey Lee's just coming back from uh, an oblique. As, I think it was an oblique as well. So maybe they're w- holding off until uh, they get – Corey Lee, some more at-bats down in Charlotte first. There have been uh, quite a few just weird decisions over 35th and Shields that I don't don't necessarily have an answer for. So I'm right there with you. (laughs) When it comes
1: to that conversation then, what's your anticipation for 2024 given the 40-man roster, who's coming off the books, what they have in triple and double A, and, of course, they're going to have to spend in, in free agency considering they need to fill out a rotation somehow. So what, what are you thinking about the 2024 White Sox and beyond?
2: Yeah, as far as next year, um, I know what I would like them to do. Uh, I would like to see Lenny and Sosa up there uh, getting, getting starts every day. Uh, we've seen with Lenny and Sosa throughout his entire minor league career that it takes him a while to get going with day-to-day at-bats. And bringing him up here, giving him two starts a week, that's not going to cut it. And it's not going to get him going. So I'm hoping that he ends up being there for the entire season and gets at bats and puts in, you know, 145 games in a year. You know, um, my one fear is that, you know, they try and run it back again and, uh, bring Elvis Andrus back again and, you know, do this nonsense again and live in the middle of the pack. It's not what anybody wants to see. And it's not what you should try to be doing when, you know, I don't, I don't even remember. I think we're like 21 games under 500 at this point. Um, Yeah. It's just what's, what's the point, you know? So (laughs) I'm hoping that they, they get some prospects up next year and uh, actually give them, time to develop and I, you know, I think it was Scott Merkin yesterday who tweeted out that, uh, Oscar Colas is looking more and more comfortable day by day, week by week. And I was like, well, duh, you know, if you have him starting every day, of course, he's going to get more comfortable and he's going to get better as he gets more comfortable. He, he, at some point you have to let the, you know, the, the talent work itself out. And they haven't been doing that because there's been this fear of, you know, falling out of contention. Well, newsflash, you know, you've been out of contention since May. There's literally no reason for us to be kicking the can down the road at this point.
3: Yeah, I mean, like, this is a baseball team with the fourth worst record in baseball. Like, they're bad. Like, there's no hope for... And look, I know what they'll try to do, right? This will be... 2009 to 2016, most likely they'll add two free agent starters and add on the edges and, you know, hope that you can compete in the first half, like in a division that's not very good. And, you know, you always have selling again at the deadline, like in your back pocket. Or I think what some of us would like to see is you finish the job this winter, you know, if you hire a new general manager or whatever. Like, I don't even know about that. Right. But, but like you have pieces, like you have Dylan Cease, Aaron Bummer, Tim Anderson that there was no resolution on, even like an Aloy Jimenez. Like, I, th- I think there's a scenario where you can win by 2025, but I don't necessarily know that that's possible if they do, I think, what we're anticipating they try to do next year, which is, like, patch this thing together and try to sell it as, like, a team that can win, you know, next year. I just, yeah, this this could go a couple of different ways so it's like you know one of the things that i think we'll all be focusing on as this season concludes basically so something i wanted to ask you and i don't think me and mike have even talked about this yet like i wanted to ask you about the other dodgers trade because i know that you remember like i was very critical of them trading international signing bonus money a couple years ago when they did it right and when they did it they they traded it so that texas would would buy out wellington castillo and what was it was it nate jones too i think like that's just like a absolutely horrendous use of resources now in a vacuum what they just did isn't that terrible because they i think they got two legit prospects back the problem is you know how did you not have that million dollars spent already right that that's the issue You know, because I I think I've been accused of changing my tone, my tune a little bit. And look, I think Aldrin Batista is like a real prospect. So like, if you can get that for nothing, that's fine. It just always goes back to like this team's like ridiculous international strategy where they just don't operate like the other clubs do, I guess. How do you, what is like your context or how you felt about that trade and basically like where we are with it?
2: yeah why they had the million dollars left over that that i can't answer um and that i a question i asked myself when thinking about this was where would the white Sox be without their international program you know without their international signings at this point you know i with the the way the farm system has turned out and uh you know without without them getting these international guys, I don't think, you know, you're the, the team's probably looking a little bit less uh, filled in the, in the minor leagues with, uh, with good talent. When you look at the, you know, the prospect list, there's a bunch of guys from the international classes in there. So why are you not spending more on those international classes? I don't, I don't understand how that continues to happen. Uh, That said that, uh, you know, essentially you just basically paid each one of these guys 500 K in the international market, essentially, you know, and it was with the, uh, the Dodgers finding the guys for you and signing the guys for you. Uh, that's how I looked at it once, once the deal was done. And, uh, we've seen, uh, Aldrin Batista made his first start for the cannonballers and, uh, he looked pretty, pretty decent, you know, um, you know, pretty raw, and it's going to take some time to develop but i think that uh you know he does look like a legit prospect i'm interested in seeing you know how he continues to develop and we should get like another 3 what is it like uh, another th- 4 starts from him i think or 5 starts from him before the end of the year so uh get a little better idea of what you know what he is as as it moves forward here in the next uh month and a half
3: Well, so the interesting thing that I think some maybe don't realize is like you literally and I like your way of saying that that's essentially what they did is like 500K for each of them. But like they literally spent nothing like they literally all they did was give the Dodgers the right to spend an additional million. And you got these two guys in return that make nothing. nothing. You know what I mean? Because it's not like you're taking a million dollars and sending it to the Dodgers so they can spend it. All it's doing is giving them like the ability to spend their own money. So like, (laughs) I mean, it's kind of, and the White Sox still have 400 K by the way, like in that marketplace. So look, I had heard something about like one of the top pitchers in the class, the Cuban Morales that's on Oakland, you know, like the White Sox thought that they had a shot at him. I don't know that that means that they held back money and that's why they have extra. I hope there's an explanation other than like, oh, we just like didn't do our jobs and there were no players to sign. That would be worse, obviously. So at least they... They turned around and used the money instead of trading it for for something stupid. You got two real guys, but you know it is just like a little bit puzzling that they're never one of the teams that has early signings because they just they just never do that. So you know we're uh, not going to keep you too much longer. Just with what you do every day and you're you're posting videos of all the prospects, right? Like the good guys, some non-prospects too. And, you know, I know family members reach out to you because they reach out to us. Just who are, who are some of your personal favorites, I guess, outside of the top few guys that we always talk about?
2: Oh, let's see <laughs> here. Yeah. That one's out of left field. I was just, and I was also just watching uh cannonballers throw the ball into center field here and give up a run. Guys that aren't in the top 30, I, I assume oh, it could be anybody. It doesn't have Outside to be. They
3: can be guys that you think are going to be like 15 to 30. Like if you really like Brooks Baldwin or, you know, whoever like guys that were, we talk about sometimes, but I think they're not guys that we talk about all the time, obviously.
2: Yeah. I think that, uh, one guy that I, that I do like, and it, it, it goes back to the, the, the talk that we had about the catching depth. I like Michael Turner mm-hmm. a lot. Um, Calls a, calls a nice game, plays good defense, got a great arm. And uh, I think he's like fourth in the Southern Atlantic league in doubles right now. Like the, uh, the home run power hasn't shown up, but I like his game. So he's an interesting one because like,
3: I'm very curious to see like this class, right? Like you're, I, Calvin Harris might be too good for this, but I mean like your Eddie parks and your mm-hmm. Raku like, I feel like under surely the last two drafts, right. They've taken some college players on day three that have turned into legit, like top 30 prospects, like really quickly, yeah. like Terrell Tatum stands out and Jacob Burke. Right. And look, Tim Elko obviously hasn't ranked anywhere, but he's producing. So who are those guys? I wonder, and you don't have to answer this. Like who are those guys from this class? Cause I, my bet would be that this time next year, like somebody like that is on next year's like top 30 list everywhere too, because they've done a pretty good job of this
2: i'm looking forward to getting uh eyes on edric felix if he if he makes his way up this year he's got a, an a very interesting profile like he's if you look at the guy dude's jacked you know he's not tall but he's just he's the dude's built and uh he's got a lot of power in the bat i'm looking to see you know i, I want to check him out uh you know specifically from this draft um one of the guys that we haven't seen so far yet. I'd say probably uh, another guy, you know, one of those, you know, we're talking about guys that you don't talk about too often. I think Shane Murphy's one of those guys. Uh, mm-hmm. There are a couple of the, the, the younger pitching pro, you know, I college guys that are in Canapolis that are interesting, but I would like to see them make us, you know, like see them get promoted once and see how they, how they fare when they get bumped.
1: Ian, you've been so kind with your time and, I know you dedicate yourself to watching these prospects, so you're a valuable resource to all of us. So Thank you.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Uh, It's always fun to talk minor league baseball. I don't get to do it all that often, you know, so uh, it's good to... You know sit here and talk about that stuff instead of uh dealing with the train wreck at uh, 35th and shields <laughs> and thanks
1: for being a supporter of future socks as well whenever we do a live stream i know you're popping in and hanging out and giving us feedback so we thank you for that as well and be sure to follow ian on twitter one more time at i escridge as well as at daily white Sox. ian thanks again thank you appreciate it for ian escridge and james fox my name is mike rankin this is the future socks podcast We release episodes every Tuesday. Be sure to subscribe. Go to futuresax.com for all your information. We'll talk to you all next week.